Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zune, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. Listeners of The Organic View can receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases, by simply using the coupon code ORGVIEW. That's O-R-G-V-I-E-W. For more promotional offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. Also, don't forget to check out our contest section on our website for your chance to win one of our cool prizes. For more information, please visit www.theorganicview.com forward slash contest. On today's show, I have the pleasure of welcoming Dr. Mel Pohl, author of the best-selling book, The Pain Antidote, the proven program to help you stop suffering from chronic pain, avoid addiction to painkillers, and reclaim your life. We're going to discuss a topic that so many people struggle with, and that's pain. So I'd like to welcome to the show Dr. Mel Pohl. Good afternoon, Dr. Pohl, and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Dr. Pohl, can you please tell our audience about yourself and why you decided to write The Pain Antidote? Well, uh, I am a family physician trained and a residency in, in, as a family doc, but my interest had, uh, developed about 35 years ago in the field of addiction medicine, and I'm also board certified in addiction medicine. About 10 years ago, as the opioid epidemic started really gaining some traction, I would see more and more people who were addicted or dependent on these narcotic painkillers, and many, many, many of them had begun the process of taking these medications and continued them because of a pain condition. My specialty was detoxification, so I would take them off their drugs and they would say, well, what are you going to do about my pain? And I would say, I don't know, you know, go back to your pain doctor, I guess. And it just was a very inadequate answer. So a team of uh, specialists here at the Las Vegas Recovery Center got together and we created uh, what we call the pain recovery program. And over the last 10 years, <laughs> I've just learned so much about this phenomenon of, of chronic pain and uh, about the, the human spirit that gets either consumed by it or uh, renewed by it, if you will. Uh, and, uh, you know, here I am 10 years later, uh, loving uh, going to work every day, even though it's extremely challenging to work with folks who are struggling and suffering from chronic pain. I really wish I had this book about 20 years ago. I sustained injuries from a car accident, and the doctors that I had were definitely not like you. You actually encourage readers to take so many different approaches depending upon what they're able to do and whatnot. And I really valued that. I really also like the fact that you talk about how you felt as far as your patients, some of these patients that were coming to you and were clearly just looking for renewed prescriptions. Right. Well, you know, our approach in the book uh, was really to be as authentic as we can about the condition that that, uh, patients present with and you know what I, I feel and many physicians feel though they don't talk much about it is really frustrated uh, and uh, inadequate because let's face it there isn't a lot to do for chronic pain in the mainstream of medical care I got 10-15 minutes to see a patient 
I have a prescription pad, and maybe I have a referral pad. And that's about it. Uh, you know, I don't have a lot of time to really get into the underlying uh, issues and conditions that have uh, sort of led the person to show up in my office in the condition that they are in. So I, I think many of us have taken the quick and easy route, which is writing a prescription for something that in the long run, and you know, this is the thing that I've learned over the last uh, 10 years, is in the long run, opioids, painkillers backfire. And instead of making people better, they make them worse. Can you take a minute and explain what the difference is between opioids and opiates? A simple difference. Opioids includes synthetic and natural substances that come from the opium plant. Opiates are the, the more natural. So we use opioids in the book, and I use it in my uh, language because it's it's a more it's like an umbrella term for the class of drugs that is based on opium. Another word for opioids is narcotics. And they are, in essence, painkillers, which is they go into the brain and they hit the part of the brain that feels pain. And that part of the brain, of course, is activated by the physical sensations and also by emotional sensations. Could you explain what the comparative pain scale is? The comparative pain scale is a pretty shabby way to measure pain, but it's what we do. Uh, So that is, tell me how much pain you have. 10 is the worst pain you've ever had, and 1 is no pain at all. And people subjectively can provide their interpretation of how much pain they are feeling in the moment. I say it's, it's, it's a shabby tool because there's so much variation in people's experience of pain because it is totally subjective. You know, my 10 isn't your 10. And my 10 on Tuesday uh, when I have to work is not the same as my 10 on Friday when I'm on my way out of town on a vacation. But it's what we have. You know, the the pain score that we ask people to tell us about is you tell me what your pain is and I will believe you unless I can prove that it's not true. And there's, there's no way to tell how much pain somebody's experiencing. It's a personal, subjective experience. Is emotional pain just as real as physical pain? My favorite question. We have five key points in the book. The first is that all pain is real, so I'm not here to tell you whether or not you have pain or how much pain you have. But the second is that emotions drive the experience of chronic pain. And what I spend most of my days speaking to patients about and teaching colleagues about and teaching therapists about is why would we think that emotions are any less real than a bulging disc in someone's back. The emotions are created by the transmission of neurotransmitters inside brain cells, one to the other, and there's clusters of these cells in various areas of the midbrain, and that's how emotions are created. They're created in response to real uh, phenomena, and they're created in response to imagined phenomena. So, I mean, I I might be frightened that somebody's going to walk in my office and there's nobody outside, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, again, very subjective experience. But if you looked at my brain, the reality of what is happening in my brain is the phenomenon of having an emotion. And, you know, I, I told this story to a patient who had chronic headaches and she got red in the face and she said, are you telling me my pain is all in my head? And I said, well, yeah, you have headaches. So, of course... It's all in your head. But the implication that the emotions were driving her pain was offensive to her, and it made it seem like there was something less real about it. And that's one of the faultiest problems 
when we approach the problem of chronic pain culturally is that it's either real or it's emotional. And, uh, you know, my observations and studies have shown that it is real and it is emotional. Throughout the book, you referenced Dr. Paul Brand's book, The Gift of Pain. How is pain a gift? Dr. Brand and Yancey wrote this book, and it, it was really an eye-opener for me. I, I, I read it. When I started the pain program here in Las Vegas, I got interested, and I read everything that I could. Another really interesting book is by uh, Dr. John Sarno, uh, which is about back pain and, and anger driving the experience of back pain. But the, the essence of the gift of pain is basically it talks about people feel pain purposefully. In other words, I'd better feel my ankle sprained, uh, the, the pain from an ankle sprain, because if I don't, I will walk on it. If I don't know that it's injured, I will walk on it and I will injure it worse. So the purpose of pain is defined in the early part of Brandon Yancey's book to say we need pain. And the disease of leprosy is an infection of the spinal column that deteriorates the ability to feel pain. But here's where the, the rub comes, because when I have this conversation with patients, they get a look on their face, which is, I don't need my pain. And the truth is, chronic pain, the, the kind of pain that I talk about uh, throughout the book, is maladaptive. So it's taken what's purposeful about pain, and it has chronically developed a whole other process, which we know is chronic pain, and that is not functional adaptive pain. It is maladaptive pain. It is not necessary, uh, but the brain thinks it is, and it causes people to be frustrated and miserable as a result of it. When you experience some sort of pain as a child or even as a teenager, 20s, what have you, most people that are young tend to ignore it, especially if they're weight training or bodybuilding. And it's mm -hmm. interesting that as we get older, Personal trainers will tell you, if you're in pain, you need to stop. And I know for myself, I have to remind myself, okay, if I start feeling some sort of pain or tugging in my lower back, for example, I need to stop and allow it to heal. Why yes. is it that some people are conditioned to just ignore that pain instead of appreciating it for what it is? Yeah, it's a really good question. There's some subtleties to it because... We differentiate in the book, we're really big on, on exercise and stretching and, and, and moving. You know, the, the worst thing that somebody who has chronic pain can do is to go to bed because then the joints stiffen and oxygen is not circulated from the blood and eventually there'll be scarring in the joints and it hurts more to move. So we focus on the principle of hurt versus harm. We don't want somebody to exercise and injure themselves. That's absolutely critical. So, and, and it's, there's sort of a fine tendency to be able to tell the difference between hurt, where wow, that really, you know, and yoga is, a, is an example of, of uh, a practice that really works at the edge of the pain. So you don't want to hurt yourself. You don't want to be. I should say you don't want to injure yourself. You don't want to be in. A, a, a large amount of pain, but you want to push yourself and, and stretch the muscles just before the edge. And that takes a lot of skill, frankly. Uh, you know, there's a tendency to want to go all out 
overdue and then and then back off and I think that's whether it's human nature or western culture nature uh it, you know we we've many of us and and you know maybe maybe males uh, more than females have this sort of macho persona where we want to go hard go hard or go home was what my trainer used to tell me and it's like ridiculous but I think culturally we are uh, infused with that urge to overdo and one of the things that we try and encourage people to do here in the treatment center is to pace so you know yes you want to do more than you've done before but you want to do it by five percent and and in the book we talk about you know if you haven't walked in years don't go out running go you know take a walk to the mailbox and come back and make sure that's okay and if that works okay then go halfway around the block and you know people have to restrain themselves from overdoing so that they don't injure themselves. Well, I think some people are motivated and they want everything to happen yeah. yesterday. And right. they don't recognize that, especially if you have pain and you're trying to do what you can to shed some excess weight, for example, mm-hmm. it didn't happen overnight and it's not going to come off overnight. So you really do have to pace yourself. And yeah. that old cliche, no pain, no gain, I think it's a horrible thing for people to practice because the pain really does help you to heal and also to build. Yeah. So, again, it's that fine line. It is okay to feel some discomfort, but you don't want to injure yourself. And, you know, it's not like we're experts in our own body particularly because we either do all or none. You know, I mean, the the gym, like gym memberships go up astronomically at the first of the year because people make resolutions and then they never go after the first couple of weeks. So it's really, I mean, most of what Kathy and I talk about in the book is sustaining whatever benefits you are getting and building upon that, that sort of base. And the base needs to be uh, reasonable and solid. So if every time you work out, I mean, I actually have a patient who just I just talked to. He's an older gentleman. He's in his 70s, and he worked out hard at the gym yesterday, did Pilates uh, because he wants to train to go hiking, and he's got pain in his feet. He's got a condition called neuropathy. And we had a long chat about, well, how about if you just get it up to a 5 and stay with that 5 and then you know build on that uh, tomorrow and the day after that. And it is hard for people, many people, to restrain themselves and, and be patient and really be in it for the long haul. But, uh, you know, I'm here to tell you that unless people really are in it for the long haul, all of the things that we talk about in the book are not going to be sustainable. You really have to do it gradually and, and uh, you know, add on to a, a solid base. What if you just had some sort of major surgery, say knee surgery mm-hmm. or knee replacement surgery, mm-hmm. even better, and you're trying to do something physical, so that you can be able to function again as you did prior to the surgery. I know a lot of people that have had this type of surgery and they have such a difficult time, they just give up. And I almost think that it's counterproductive for them not to be physically active because they're just dormant. We're talking now about acute pain, you know, knee surgery. The, the chronic pain of a, of, a, of a knee that needs replacement it, it, it leads up to it. But now we have a surgical scar and, uh, you know, sutures that are healing and swelling around the, the incision site. All of that is, is an acute pain, and it will go away as the tissue heals. The 
the real key is that a, a skilled professional, either a physical therapist or a physiatrist, needs to monitor the exercise. The surgeon needs to decide when the knee is strong enough to take the exercise. And as, as you probably know, nowadays we get people. I just had a friend who had a, a hip replacement, and uh, she actually read, read the, our book before she got, went into the the procedure because she really wanted to be well prepared. And she had a history of drug addiction in the past, so she was very wary of taking a high dose of medications. But she is, you know, physical therapist is coming, and she's two days post-op. And she just texted me and said, the physical therapist will be here soon. They're walking me. So, But it should be a skilled therapist. It shouldn't be, we shouldn't decide a lot of this on our own. If at all possible, we ought to have somebody who really understands the body mechanics to, uh, to be able to safely uh, increase motion. What if you are in such excruciating pain that you just can't get out of bed? And you know that you need to do something, but it's just excruciating to even move. What do you recommend for people like that? Because I know that there are a lot of listeners out there that are dealing with all sorts of issues in which they've either had surgery or maybe it's something like sciatica. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, you know, but they want to do something. And it's like, where do you begin? Yeah, I think you begin uh, with gentle movement. Uh, that is tolerable and not excruciating. So, and and that's real. There's no sort of absolute movement for anybody uh, to enter into that. So, in, in other words, what I'm saying is, if you've had uh, an injury, or if you have, let's say your back goes out, you know, and you're just in excruciating pain. The truth of the matter is, you can get out of bed, but it hurts really bad to do that. So I would say the starting point for a person like that is to take an anti-inflammatory medication and start to to move around in bed and to stretch the limbs because a lot of the problems with a sciatic pain, as you well know because you've had it, is that there's a tightening of the muscles around the inflamed nerve. The tighter the muscles are, the more the pain. And, and here's where the emotions get involved. If you're fretting and worrying and telling yourself a story that, uh-oh, th- you know, this is going to happen if this doesn't happen, those thoughts, those those sort of conjured up thoughts need to be dealt with. They need to be dealt with. And that's really where people miss out, I think, is that they don't... Uh, they don't pay close attention to what their mind is doing, and their mind is really activating the chronic pain uh, cycle. You actually go into quite a bit of detail about just how powerful the mind is. Mm-hmm. Could you share with our listeners the 12 negative thinking patterns that create pain and some examples that people can follow so that they can recognize the patterns of behavior, they can correct their own thinking patterns? Right. Uh, well, you know, let's start with the fact that a lot of what our mind tells us is not true. Uh, so we have patterns of thought uh, that, you know, we, we developed, uh, a, a lot of what we developed is, is for, for, I won't say good reasons, but they are for reasons. Uh, and um, we 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 have manners of thinking that get us into trouble and they're called in the in the uh, school of cognitive behavioral therapy which we talk a lot about in the power of the mind chapter 
their their cognitive distortions, so their faulty thoughts. My favorite faulty thought is, my back is killing me, or my shoulder is killing me, and and my response to that is, what's the cause of death on your death certificate going to be? Because you've had this pain every day for the last three years, and you're not dead. So, but but the power of saying that it's going to kill me, this sort of black and white thought, is can really be overwhelming. And you know, we we don't pay it any much mind. It just sort of rolls off our tongues. Another one is focusing on the negative. Poor me, I can't. You know, I have back pain. How about lucky me, I get to walk. <laughs> We uh, look at a, a variety of areas, and these are pretty standardized in the cognitive uh, behavioral therapy world, but we, we tend to see things and have a narrative about what we see and feel. So we tell ourselves stories, and what we encourage people to do is to notice the story with awareness and then challenge it, uh, and and all the while being gentle, because one of the problems that people have who have chronic pain is they beat themselves up all the time. I mean, it's it's kind of tragic and, and, and classic. So really, when you notice things with a very gentle touch, then you can begin to make some changes in the way you approach things. And that's that's really the essence of, of, uh, of capitalizing on the power of the mind. What do you recommend to people who wish to get off their meds? Well, uh, the first thing I would say is that uh, if you are going to embark on getting off your medication, you need to consult with the physician who prescribed them because stopping certain medications like the opioids and, and sedative sleeping medications, which also add to the problems, is dangerous. So I would never suggest that somebody simply stop, lock themselves in a bedroom and, uh, you know, uh, take their chances. I mean, there's, there's a detoxification regimens, uh, I mean, we do uh, our detoxification in, in an inpatient setting uh, at Las Vegas Recovery Center, but there are docs who can help. You can wean down on your medications, but it always ought to be with medical supervision. Um, that said, bringing down the dose of the medication often causes more pain, so it's not an easy, pleasant route. I mean, it's one of the reasons people keep taking their medicine is that it hurts when they stop. So, uh, they're going to need a lot of support uh, to be able to come off their medications. We are strongly in favor of a trial of coming off medications. And the, the, the key uh, criteria for that is if you're taking medications and they are making your life better, that means you're more alert, you're more active, you're participating in life, you have joy, then medications probably are a reasonable part of pain control. But so often we see people are taking their medications and they get worse. You know, they're in bed a good part of the day. Their pain is not better on the medications, but they're just fearful that the, that the pain is going to go up if they stop. Those people may well benefit from cutting back and eventually stopping their medicine under medical supervision. What about people who are insistent that they must have certain medications even though their doctors have already said, you know, okay, we prescribed this particular drug and it's run its course, you need to start thinking about alternative ways right. to deal with the pain. How do you manage people like that? I, I'm sure that that's very frustrating. I know so many people that I've come across who have said that they have something like rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. where they're in pain, 
And they're constantly talking about that pain, but they'll say, oh, well, my doctor won't give me any more of the medication. I don't know what to do. I'm in agony. And you feel badly, but in the same token, what can they do so that yeah. they don't have to be in this pain? Yeah. I mean, a couple of responses. One is that world is not pain-free. Life is not pain-free. So, you know, sort of resetting our sights to diminishing the pain and having a better life is a much more realistic goal than trying to get the pain down to zero by being knocked out, which is what a lot of people end up wanting to do. So uh, ha having said that, if we're talking about opioid pa painkillers, which are habit-forming, cause an escalation in dose because of tolerance, uh, cause physical dependence and withdrawal, the cycle that happens that people get confused about is when I go an extra hour, my pain goes up. That means I need the medication. The reason for the pain going up is that they are physically dependent and they're in withdrawal. So the withdrawal has to be managed. For somebody like that with a complicated diagnosis, you know, those are the kinds of people that get referred to me and get admitted to the hospital for close monitoring and uh, withdrawal management, which includes medication and nursing care and counseling. But after that, what we often find is that the pain is not as severe off the medicine as on the medicine. Now, if somebody has rheumatoid arthritis, they're not going to be pain-free. I mean, if somebody's 60, they're not going to be pain-free. Come on. So, you know, I mean, I'm not pain-free, and I, but I have a great life, and I, you know, I'm committed to living my life without uh, habit-forming medications because I, I, I well know what they can do uh, to a person's body. And I think an attitude adjustment really lends itself to a better life. And I think your instruction for food and exercise plays such a tremendous role in doing that. You talk about the jumpstart plan, which I think is tremendous. I think a lot of people don't really value the role that food and exercise do play as far as the way that they feel and also for maintenance. The rehabilitation process is a long one, and like you, I have my days where if I have sciatica, then it's not going to be fun, but I just deal with it. And also, like you, I don't want to go near drugs if I can help it. I don't even like to take aspirin, mm -hmm. but sometimes when you have something where it's just unbearable, you have to do something just to you know get through that particular period. But you know, for people that are suffering tremendously. I think the suggestion of looking at the foods that they're incorporating as well as exercise are huge. Could you talk a little bit about the Jumpstart plan and some of the benefits of participating in something like this? Sure. I'm, I'm very pleased with the Jumpstart plan. This was my co-author Kathy Ketchum's uh, brainstorm idea, uh, but it was really, I mean, the book is filled, replete with tons of things that people can do in, in many areas of their life. But it was really, how can I sit down with this and get started? And the Jumpstart plan breaks it into four weeks and, you know, somewhat arbitrarily makes suggestions for what you can do in week one. And we have seven areas. So, for example, uh, 
diet and nutrition are, are first on the list. And we start out with really simple things like drinking water. I mean, water flushes uh, the toxins out of the that are produced by the liver and and, and pass through the kidney. Uh, and we suggest uh, increasing omega threes and vitamin D, which are known to be pain relieving. Exercise is key, but as I said earlier, it has to start with something that is not going to injure the person. So if you're used to staying in bed, doing knee to chest stretches gradually, gently. And if you feel the tension, then pull back on the stretch. Uh, if you're in bed and not getting up, get up some and, and get up more and more each each week. Sleep is really key. Most people who have chronic pain have problems with sleep. And we give a lot of uh, information about limiting naps and, and uh, what's called sleep hygiene. Uh, we list uh, a number of acupoints, which are self-administered, uh, really self-administered acupuncture uh, without the needle, uh, but it's something that somebody can do very simply, and there's all different areas of the body that have been studied that we mentioned in the Jumpstart plan. We think that the breath is really one of the key vehicles, and it, it comes for free. Everybody's got it. And learning training exercises to deal with breath diminishes anxiety, decreases fear, and decreases pain. Um, we talked about the mind and thoughts. We recommend strongly that people journal and develop some techniques at both writing things and keeping what they write and writing things and throw, throwing them away, which is called free writing. And the last issue is sort of a free-floating, if you have time, energy, and money, get a massage, uh, get an acupuncture treatment. Uh, go take a yoga class and little by little over the course of the weeks we, we add more activities and, and uh, beneficial uh, measures and uh, you know the result is having a better life that's what this book is really all about is I want people to have a better life uh, e even though including the fact that they experience chronic pain. Well I think what I like the most about this book is that you talk about experiences with your patients. You talk about different situations that your patients have experienced. And you give so much advice to people so that they have different options regardless of how much pain they're in or if they're just at a point where, you know, they, they want to make a change and they're just not too sure which direction to go in. There's just so much information in this book and there's nothing out there like it. That's one of the things that I really enjoyed about the pain antidote. And also, I just want to ask you about two particular recipes that you mentioned because I thought they were really tremendous. Often people forget to do very simple things for themselves that can help with their overall health. One is the recipe for the ginger foot bath, and the other one is for the sinus cleanse. Could you just share with our listeners how they work and why they're so effective? Well, uh, these are uh, a part of a multiplicity of interventions uh, that are doable. So, you know, pouring uh, some ginger into water and, and allowing your feet to soak in it is, is stimulating and uh, really can help, particularly with neuropathic pain, which is common in diabetes and uh, HIV and certain other conditions of the spine. Um, and you know, anybody can do this. You don't have to go to a, a, a therapist. You don't have to uh, buy fancy uh, equipment. You know, you can uh, 
either run the bath or uh, you know buy a, have a have a tub. Um, and and a sinus cleanse, especially for people with headaches uh, or a face pain, uh, there's definitely an increased pressure within the sinus cavities. And a sinus cleanse is a pretty simple process of just uh, irrigating the sinuses and the nasal passages. And you, you know you can get fancy and get a neti pot, or uh, you know simply uh, tip your head back and, and use a, a dropper or a cup. But it really is bathing the side, the internal sinuses with saline, uh, getting out the, the junk, if you will, uh, that has accumulated and allowing for a freer flow of oxygen uh, and, and blood supply, which, you know, carries toxins away. And I'd say that the decreasing the toxins in, in an area of tissue is going to decrease pain. Dr. Paul, it has been a pleasure having you on the show, and thank you so much for writing this book. I know that it's going to help so many people out there that struggle with pain management. And as you said, it doesn't matter how old you are. At some point, you are going to be dealing with pain, whether it's something that's chronic or something that happens randomly. But it's something that we all deal with. And the advice that you've given in this book is tremendous. And I know that many of my listeners are going to benefit tremendously because there are not many options out there for people that are trying to do something constructive and get them off the medications that, that seem to be pushed by society as a whole. Right. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this topic and, and our book, June. And, uh, I, you know, I wish your, your listeners well. Could you share with our listeners your website and how they can contact you? Sure. Uh, thepainantidote.com is a blog that Kathy and I have written. Uh, thepainantidotebook.com is uh, the website. And lasvegasrecovery.com talks about the treatment center where I'm working. Thank you. And Thank folks, you. please. Oh, you're very welcome. And, folks, please check out the companion article to this interview, which will be available at theorganicview.com, which will list the websites and the information. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon.